Hello and welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. And I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Now, Sarah. Yes. Do you like true crime? (gasps) I do. Sarah loves true crime. (laughs) Um, I enjoy it a little bit. Uh, Not quite as much. It's a little, it's a bit of a downer sometimes. Oh, for sure. So, but I do like some true crime. And if you listen to a lot of true crime stories, podcasts, whatnot, you may have come across this one. It's uh, it's just too good not to bring up. I'm so excited. It may be one of the most bizarre murder stories I've ever heard. And it's the story of Ken Rex McElroy and the terror that he caused a small town, uh, Skidmore, Missouri. Okay. Have you heard this one? I'm not sure so far. Okay. Well, if it sounds familiar, um, you know, and if anyone, anyone out there so- sounds familiar, don't be surprised because <laughs> it's 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 a pretty popular one. Okay. Um, but if you haven't heard it, it's a doozy. Oh, boy. It's a real doozy. I'm now, so excited. before I get into this, um, I do want to warn listeners that the story contains violence and murder as well as sexual violence against young women. Oh, man. So if this is not something you're interested in, feel free to turn off and check us out next week. All right. I will see you later. Okay. Bye, Sarah. Bye. Now, um, it's going to sound like the story is straight out of the Wild West, but the climax of the story actually took place in 1981. Hmm. And McElroy was a long, a lifelong criminal starting at a young age. It's mentioned in his life story that at around 18 or 20 he was working construction and suffered a pretty severe head injury. Oh, boy. Yep. That'll do it. Apparently, that's very common in people who are violent. You got to protect that frontal lobe. It's very important. And this caused him to suffer chronic pain for the rest of his life. And as we just said, may have caused maybe one of the reasons why he was violent. Right. Now, let's get this straight from the very beginning. Uh, the town called Ken McElroy a monster. A horrible, evil bully who took what he wanted, did what he wanted, and would destroy anyone who crossed him. He was a known thief in his community of pretty much anything you can think of. Gas, livestock, alcohol, etc. Livestock. Livestock. He, <laughs> okay. He, yes. All right. He stole, he stole animals. Yikes. But although he would be arrested many times in his life, he was rarely convicted of his crimes. And this is because he was known to intimidate the witnesses of his crimes by stalking them, threatening them, or assaulting them. One case I found of McElroy being charged with stealing two horses ended with a farmer withdrawing his his accusation, his charges, after McElroy smashed him across the face with the butt of a rifle. Oh my god. He also had a really good defense attorney, Richard McFadden, who managed to avoid... 20 convictions throughout his life. Wow. Now, I did hear that number increased. Uh, maybe this was 20 felonies. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had many more convictions of lesser crimes. But wow. he he rarely, if ever, saw the inside of a prison or a jail. He was a scary man, too. And he pretty much had run of the town. And I should mention that Skidmore is such a small town, they didn't have a dedicated police force. The nearest station was about 14 miles away. Apparently, the cops themselves were pretty scared of McElroy, too. 
Oh boy, that's not what you want to hear. And McElroy was a womanizer. Hard to believe that he's not a prince among men in his dating life. Well, he fathered at least 16 children. Oh boy. Okay. And had five wives. And what I read about those children and wives is very heartbreaking, and I won't go into it. Thank you. But I'll just say that McElroy met all of his wives when they were very young. Oh, man. And he was a wife beater, a rapist, and just a complete piece of shit. Mm-mm. No, I'm, mm. no, I'm not into that. No, I, I, I would assume not. <laughs> so by the early 70s, he began stalking a girl named Trina McLeod. Now, at the time, McElroy was nearly 40 and married, but Trina was only 14 years old. Come on, man. Now, apparently, Trina was really into him. She even dropped out of college after being with him for a while. Trina became pregnant, and McElroy wanted to marry her to avoid the statutory uh, statutory rape charges. Uh, okay, well. Actually, Trina admits, and, and uh, court documents show that she accused him of rape around this time. And she would later recant that because she was with him until he he passed. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, Trina. It's a very sad story. So he fled to Kansas and married her so that she couldn't testify against him. Was he still married? So you said he was married to someone when he met her. Yes. Did he divorce that wife? Eventually, yes, but not at but first. But not before he married Trina. Oh, cool. Cool, mm-hmm. cool, cool. All right. So he was married to to both Trina and Alice, and they lived together, and their kids lived th- together, too. Sorry, what? Yes, they all lived together. Oh, okay. Well. And the daughter would, th- there's a documentary about this, and the daughter would, one of his daughters would say how their home life seemed fairly normal except for the odd circumstances, mm-hmm. um, but she did say that there was violence. That she never saw, mm-hmm. but she definitely saw the uh, the effects of. Right. But other than that, they lived a pretty quiet life, and they seemed to be happy mm-hmm. in this very unusual situation. Okay. Now, I don't know how any, how any of it worked, because bigamy was illegal. And I don't think Rex could necessarily get away with it, but for some reason, he never was charged. Right. Uh, now, it probably goes without saying that uh, Trina's parents were not pleased with this. No kidding. And they opposed this marriage. Really? Apparently, Trina had tried to escape from McElroy and hide at her parents' house at one point, probably pretty early on. Um, but he knew she was there. Mm-hmm. He allegedly decided to um, intimidate them to let Trina come back and get Trina to come back by burning down their house. <gasps> And killing their dog. Oh, no, 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 mm-mm, no. Now, after the events of this story, Trina and one of his ex-wives would go on record to say that Ken was not such a bad guy. Oh, come. He just killed their dog. She said that it was an accident that he was not involved in. And the house burned down due to faulty wiring. Uh-huh. But he was... And the dog just stabbed itself. Well, I, I think it was shot. I mean, oh, well, that, no, well, when you put it like that, that's much more plausible. Yeah. The dog just shot itself. It was an accident. Okay. Could happen to anybody. Uh-huh. I was apparently. cleaning the thing and it went off. Okay. So in 1976, Justice seemed to be catching up to McElroy. There was an altercation between him and a farmer named Romaine Henry. 
Apparently, McElroy thought that Henry had been on his land, and he confronted him. McElroy pulled out a shotgun, and he shot Henry in the stomach. (gasps) But surprisingly, Henry survived. And McElroy was actually charged with attempted murder with intent to kill. Wow. But remember his defense attorney? Oh, man. Well, he managed Come to find on, a cu- he find he managed to find a couple of witnesses to testify that McElroy was hunting that day, mm. and that was enough for McElroy to be found not guilty. <sighs> so, as we enter the 1980s, the town must have been feeling pretty hopeless, and one wonders what it was going to take for someone to finally get fed up enough to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, on April 25th, 1980, something small but important happened. Trina and Ken's eight-year-old daughter, Tanya, stole a piece of candy. Or she forgot to pay for it. Uh, She may have been a nice kid. I don't know. Right. I I don't want to accuse her of something. And kids just do stuff like that. Like, that's not that unusual. I mean, you hear about that all the time. Like, kids, you know, they just pick up a piece of candy and take it and eat it. And they're not thinking, ooh, I'm going to steal this and get away with it and... Yeah, on the hamburger, like they just, you know, they see something, they want it, they take it, they move on with their lives. Whatever happened, um, the store clerk accused her of stealing because she witnessed it and, mm-hmm. and said something to that effect. So, what do you think McElroy did when he found out that his daughter was stealing? Um, I think he probably beat the hell out of the kid. And then accidentally burned the store clerk's house down and killed her dog. <laughs> well, you're not totally off. Okay. Uh, but he did decide to unleash hell on the store owner, mm-hmm. Ernest Bo Bowenkamp. So the store owner, not even the clerk who accused. Correct. The, okay. Now I don't. We we don't. I don't know if he thought that Bo was the clerk who accused him, or mm-hmm. if it was Bo's store. It's Bo's responsibility. I don't know, but Bo was targeted for retribution, for mm-hmm. accusing his daughter of a crime, mm-hmm. disrespecting the family, let's right. say. McGillroy mm-hmm. began stalking the Bowen Camp family just as he did with his witnesses for, to his other crimes. Mm-hmm. He would show up at their house at all hours of the night and occasionally fire a gun to scare them. Then on July 8th, everything came to a head. Elroy found 70-year-old Bo Bowenkamp in the alley behind the grocery and confronted him. McElroy then pointed his shotgun at Bo and at nearly point-blank range <gasps> shot him in the neck. With a shotgun? With a shotgun. Oh, my God. He blew that dude's head off. He didn't blow his head off. Oh, my God. But when he was found, he was, he was in a poorly state. You think? Bleeding profusely. A big deal. Oh, my God. Now, I don't know how, but Bo survived. Oh, my God. Bo survived. 70 years old, Mm -hmm. shot point blank in the neck with a shotgun, survives. He survives. My God. It's, it's, It's unbelievable. Perhaps divine intervention. Okay. But who knows? Either way, he survived and he named his attacker. He said, he said, Ken Rex... Uh, McElroy shot me in the neck. He's the man who tried to kill me. So Ken was arrested and a trial was set, but he wasn't kept in jail until his trial. He was released. For God's sake. And I'm sure you know exactly what he did. I could guess. Yeah. He began um, threatening anyone who could possibly put him in prison. The Bowen camp family, the police marshal, um, just anyone. 
The marshal. Yes. He, oh my he, god. He actually told the police marshal that he would kill anyone who tried to put him behind bars. And he's telling this to the police. Right. Who could put him behind bars. Right. So he, he he's getting off kilter. A little bit, yeah. Prosecutor David Baird, only three years out of law school, mm. was up against McElroy's defense, who claimed that McElroy was acting in self-defense when he shot the 70-year-old man in the neck. But Baird was able to do what no one else had. He convicted Ken McElroy of a crime. All right, Baird. Now, despite having shot Bo Bowenkamp in the neck with a shotgun, oh, he was he was only convicted of second-degree assault. I'm sorry. Now, the reasoning must have been, and I'm pretty sure, I think this is confirmed, I'm not positive, but that they went after a lesser crime to ensure that they got a conviction. okay. So they went higher, there was a chance that they couldn't, so Mm -hmm. they they, they went with what they knew would stick. Okay. Second degree assault. However, Ken McElroy filed an appeal, and it was scheduled for August 10th of that year. And his attorney was able to get McElroy out on bond while waiting the appeal. I don't know how McFadden sleeps at night. Like, honestly. He sleeps on a very nice bed. (laughs) In a very big house, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. So he was found guilty, but he had still not spent a single night behind bars. That is just ridiculous. Now, as you may expect, these events did not humble McElroy in the slightest. Of course not. Rather intensified him. He was he was seen in the bar of Skidmore with an M1 and a bayonet <sighs> making threats against the bone camps. Pretty much anyone who was capable of putting him behind bars because he had his appeal. He, he was he was pretty convinced he was going to not go to jail. So McElroy was making public threats against Bo, saying that he was going to kill Bo. Of course, yeah. For real this time. Mm -hmm. Now, people heard this. They heard these threats. So they went to the law and said, hey, you have to do something about this. Revoke his bail. Do something. Get him in prison while he's awaiting this appeal. Right. But it didn't happen. I would like to know what was up with the judge in this case, because that's like his decision. Yeah, and I'm know. I'm I'm saying he at this point because it's what the early '80s. It was probably safe to assume it was a man. Mm-hmm. Um, that is your responsibility, honestly, as a judge. If you decide that someone is eligible to be out on bond or bail or whatever, and they go out there and kill someone else, that is your fault. Like you know what he's capable of. Look at his rap sheet. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And this was the tipping point that we were talking about. McElroy had been arrested, tried, found guilty, but he was still free and posing a threat to everyone. That is just absurd. And the law seemed to have no effect. And everyone was terrified, locking their doors at night. This was a small town in the 80s. Right. And they were in fear, scared for their lives. So on the morning of July 10th, a town meeting took place with the mayor the sheriff, and about 60 to 100 residents. The point of the meeting was to discuss what could be done about <laughs> McElroy. Put him in prison. That's what. That wasn't even an option. Mm. The sheriff <laughs> The sheriff suggested forming a neighborhood watch. Okay. 
but he said, do not confront Ken McElroy because he knew. Mm-hmm. He knew how dangerous he was. Now, after the sheriff had left and the meeting had pretty much ended, word reached those in the meeting that Ken and Trina had come into town to visit the um, the nearby D&G Tavern, just a couple of buildings away from the town hall. And it isn't clear if this was just coincidence or if McElroy had heard there was a meeting about him and he wanted to show up to be like, uh-huh. oh, you guys think you can do something about me? I'm not afraid of you guys. Right. So Ken was having a drink, and he began to notice the group had entered and formed around him. Uh-oh. He was at the bar. They formed around around the back of him. Mm-hmm. So he quietly finished his drink, grabbed Trina, and they left the bar with a six-pack. When they, when they stepped outside, they found a crowd of up to 60 people. Oh, my. Were waiting for him. Oh, boy. The two made their way to the pickup truck. Ken, uh... Trino was in the passenger seat, Ken was in the front seat, driver's seat, and he lit up a cigarette. Suddenly, gunshots <gasps> rang out and hit the back of McElroy's truck, striking Ken in the back of the head twice. Whoa. Yeah. Now, after the barrage of gunfire, Trino was taken out of the truck and taken away to safety by some members of the crowd, while Ken lay dead inside the truck oh my god after silence had fallen the crowd dispersed many leaving town leaving ken's body there for police to find it now it isn't clear who called the cops it didn't seem to be anyone in the crowd mm-hmm. but probably someone from down the road maybe at a place of business mm-hmm. had heard the had heard gunshots and called the police so a big investigation began but there was little evidence huh it was determined that two different caliber guns were used which suggested there were two shooters, at least, <laughs> two shooters that that hit their target. Right. But the murder weapons were not found. But most importantly, no witnesses were found. <laughs> Despite, at most, 60 people being present, everyone who was interviewed claimed they just didn't see the shooter. Mm-hmm. The only witness who came forward was Trina herself. The town seemed seemed to stand by to protect this vigilante justice. So the coroner's inquest began, which is like a grand jury, Mm -hmm. uh, to determine if they could identify a specific individual who could be charged with the crime. During this investigation, Trina and her kids were facing the lingering repercussions of this event. They claimed they were forced to leave town after several incidents involving people shooting into their house. Oh my, Mm -hmm. that's not okay. Trina would go on to be the only person to testify at the inquest to identify a shooter, Del Clement. She said she saw him pull a gun out of his truck, raise it, and shoot Ken in the back of the head. Now, he probably had as just, just about as much motivation as almost anyone else in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they couldn't find anyone else who would testify that Del was the shooter. Well, and she's in the passenger seat. And Ken was shot from behind. So unless she's turned around looking out the back window when this giant posse has formed, it's unlikely she would see who shot him from behind. It's hard to say. I mean, if I was surrounded by a group of 60 people, I may be looking around a lot. Yeah, but you're probably not going to be looking in one place long enough. And it was nighttime, you said, right? No, it was morning. Morning? They were at the bar in the morning? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, all right. So... I don't know how she saw it Mm -hmm. or claims to have seen it. 
But she said she 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 saw this one person. Okay. But no one else. Everyone else said I didn't see Dell shoot anyone, <laughs> and Dell himself didn't confess. And over a dozen witnesses um, that were investigated by this inquest said the exact same thing. And the inquiry came to an end, and no indictments were filed. Huh. Trina would later sue the town, county, sheriff, and a few others over the matter. And she was awarded a very small amount. She passed away believing that Dell was the shooter, or at least one of the shooters. But she never found who killed her husband through the legal system. Right. And he was never charged. Nobody was charged with the shooting. And no one admitted it. And to this day, no one in Skidmore has ever spoken about who the shooter is. They've remained completely silent. Well, it kind of like it brings to mind Bonnie and Clyde. How when they died, you know, they were in their car going down the road and they were ambushed like there were all these people waiting on both sides of the road to like with their guns to jump out and shoot them. And they're, they were, you know, shot a whole lot more than twice each. But how would you know if so many people are shooting at once that there's this barrage of bullets? Mm-hmm. Dale probably doesn't know if he killed him or not, you know? Well, Dale claims to have not shot at all well there you go not even had a gun but you know what i'm saying like even if he had a gun and was shooting how would you know yeah i suppose there would be the possibility of getting a warrant to find a weapon that matched the caliber Mm -hmm. this and that but the fact that no one in the town even said they saw anyone shoot right when clearly there were at least two people shooting is uh, it's what is what makes this story such a bizarre murder story and and one of a kind mm-hmm. almost. Well, it's <laughs> and I would probably find it a little more like, oh my god, that's so crazy. Except there's literally a joke in the Golden Girls <laughs> where this happened to one of Sophia's relatives, um, who was just a. Uh, just a, a bad, bad man. Uh, he, I think she says something like he was stabbed 40 times at a block party. Nobody saw a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the story. That is a crazy story. Thank you for sharing that with me. You are welcome. And thank you for listening and spending some time of your day with us. We hope that you found that story interesting. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us and subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening. And check us out on Twitter and Instagram for more content. We are Fantastic H Pod on both. Or shoot us an email at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. Until next week. Later. Bye.